be talking about roasting meat. Or oh yeah. yeah. Uh, is biochemist is that the is that the correct title we're going with? Well, we maybe just let him talk about his background or whatever. Sure. I'm saying when I introduce you, biochemist. Oh. Well, yeah, he's, I mean, he's the man. That's all yeah. you say. Okay, that's good yes. enough. All right. Here <laughs> we go. Hello and welcome to episode 16 of the Restoring Human podcast, where we believe humans were designed to flourish. Unfortunately, many modern conveniences prevent us from thriving, but through intentional lifestyle decisions, we can return to an optimal state of health. I'm your host, Jarek Bakken. I'm Dr. Alex Rigwell. And today we are joined by the man, Jared Criswell. Yep. Yes, he is the man. Thanks for being here today with us, Jared. Um, Before we get going, hey, welcome back. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's been a few weeks. Uh, I'll I'll throw my own self under the bus. I've I've been way too busy with other things to be able to pull this off. Um, But I think you can probably expect a little more consistency now. Moving forward? Yeah. Back to normal? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to blame it all on you. I mean, most of it on you, but I always have a lot of stuff on my <laughs> plate. So anytime I, there's something that can be cut out, it's good. So anytime I make an excuse, Alex will take it. <laughs> oh, definitely wasn't my fault. <laughs> <laughs> so today, our topic is a. Hot button, genetically. Well, sorry, I shouldn't even say that. I'll just say GMOs. Hmm. GMOs. GMOs. Uh, yeah. Jared, what what qualifies you to kind of be on here talking about this with us? Well, I watch a lot of TV. <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. I I have well, a actually. Let me <clears throat> sorry. Let me answer that a little bit. So, one of the things that we're, we would like to try to do a lot more of is just bringing on other people that have some experience or expertise in a certain area of health. Um, number one, either because we want to learn more about it, and number two, just because we want our listeners to be hearing from other people. So our hope is to bring a, a lot more people on here um, in this way. And when we think about this particular topic, um, it's just a difficult topic to research, I think, um, mm-hmm. to really know who's mm-hmm. giving you good information. Mm-hmm. So my go-to when I ask questions about this is, you know, the typical people that I research just health, normal health stuff on. Um, but I can just tell just in reading their stuff that they don't necessarily even know what the right thing is to, mm-hmm. to think about this. So um, my other go-to has been Jared for that just because of his scientific background and Mm. being able to read stuff, research stuff that nobody else really wants to read. So that's what I would say why we wanted him to be on here, but he can add to that. Yeah. So I, uh, have a master's degree in biochemistry, got that at Iowa state. Um, so a lot of work and academic training in, you know, the field of biological sciences, you know, you come across genetic research and, how that affects enzymes and, you know, biochemistry itself is really just the chemistry of what goes on in our cells. So you get proteins, enzymes, hormones, you know, all that good stuff. 
So my specific, I guess, niche when I was in graduate school was uh, um, diterpene cyclases, which is just... (laughs) (laughs) Say that one more time. There's no uh, other word for it. But essentially... (laughs) A layman term. Essentially, um, what what we were looking at was you can take natural products from plants and um, they, they're they very biochemically active for humans. Obviously, you know, we eat food, we need those nutrients, but they're also very medically active. So there's a lot of research being done to figure out ways to make more of it, usually through um, a system of yeast or E. coli growing it inside bacteria. That's how actually insulin is being made right now. Is they took the genes and inserted them in E. coli, and then they just grow up huge bioreactors of E. coli, produces the insulin for people. Cool. <clears throat> so just research that's you know just related to all that. Yeah. And then the diterpenes are just my specific the chemicals that I was looking at is that class of chemicals. So. Okay. And what are you doing now? <laughs> Well, unrelated? <laughs> unrelated. Okay. Well, it's not necessarily super uh, unrelated to this topic, though. No, I, so I, you know, I work with uh, wastewater pollution control, and it's, I mean, it is kind of related because there are, um, you know, one of the steps in treating the wastewater is actually biological treatment. So <clears throat> all the nutrients and waste um, chemicals that get into the water, you know, they put it in these huge uh, reactor basins with and they just pump oxygen in there and then they just let the microbes digest yeah so interesting stuff all right we'll clarify all that i'm (laughs) sure sometime (laughs) yeah (laughs) so our topic for today gmos first of all what the heck does that even mean that's all you jared (laughs) 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 well i mean GMO stands for, I think everybody knows, genetically modified organism. But I think th- the term you really want to think about is when we say GMOs, we're talking about a transgenic organism, meaning we're taking a gene from one organism and inserting it into another. Mm-hmm. A lot different than like a hybrid where you're transferring pollen mm-hmm. uh, from, you know, same types of plants um, you can take a gene from a bacteria a gene from I think even a fish you can put it in a corn so that you can get these desirable traits that will stand up to certain environmental stresses okay <coughs> that supposedly a organic plant or all natural plant would not so like, where did this even come from? Like, why why does such a crazy thing even exist? Well, I, I mean, I think there's a lot of debate on that question. Uh, we've been watching um, this video seminar series that's just come out, and one of the things that they said was uh, when glyphosate was introduced into the world, you know, it's a... <clears throat> It's a non-specific weed killer, so you spray it and it'll kill anything it touches. Mm-hmm. So that's very convenient, you know, for a farmer mm-hmm. um, if they can just spray that on their field. Uh, so, you know, can we make our crops 
resistant to that. So we can just spray this all over and our crops will still grow, but we'll, you know, very efficiently kill the weeds. Everything else. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I think, again, this is a complex issue, but I think what most people know about a GMO is, you know, that people think it's not necessarily natural, so it's totally synthetic or totally artificial. They think some people think it's necessary because there's so many people on the planet now that right. if we weren't doing this um, to have more, to have bigger yields, then we wouldn't have enough food for everybody on the planet. Um, and then, of course, there's the people that are totally mm -hmm. against them. They're saying, oh, that's all totally wrong, and we could mm -hmm. feed the planet, and we're not even feeding the planet well, even though we have genetically modified foods. And why would you even want to feed the planet those type of foods? Because they're, of course, not natural, so you don't want to, you know, they're just going to make everybody sick. And um, I guess before I even started talking to Jared, I just, from a, f I guess, a philosophical standpoint, I was against genetically modified foods just because of a lot of the stuff that I just said but without even looking into it too deeply and understanding any of the scientific stuff I was just like you know anytime we try to intervene with nature the, just the way that it was designed to, to work um, things seem to go bad you know um, so without having a full understanding of what it, what the whole genetically modified process was it, that's all I knew about it is it wasn't the, just the way that things were naturally so right I was just kind of, I guess, by principle, just like against it. Um, right, just naturally throwing a red flag. Yeah, yeah, and and again, j just because I knew that you had a choice, like mm -hmm. we, we weren't, we didn't have to eat it, we didn't have to eat these things, so why not avoid them if we could mm -hmm. um, until we know more about what's going on? Sure. And yeah, I yeah. still think they're pretty, I guess, somewhat <laughs> new that we don't really hmm. have a ton of information about them to know if they're yes they're absolutely bad or mm -hmm. or no they're t perfectly fine for people um and one of the things that i've got from you and maybe mm -hmm. you can hit on this a little bit jared is yeah. there are some i guess maybe some studies that would show there's some terrible things that happen but maybe that's not the best research done or you know maybe it was just a certain type of research that was done that we would then require more specific type of research or there's some things that we know potentially could be harmful, but we just don't know enough of the information yet. Right. Yeah, I think uh, most of the research that's been done on these GMOs and um, their potential danger or safety to our, our diet, our health, has been basically feeding studies so that take some rats, feed one group of rats a non-GMO diet, another group of rats a GMO diet. And... You know, some studies have, you know, they they don't see any problems with that. And then there's been a couple that, you know, these rats fed the GMOs have been, you know, all sorts of tumors and other problems. Mm -hmm. But, the, I mean, the problem with those kinds of studies is, well, number one, rats are, you know, very, very, uh, I mean, sensitive to everything. Yeah. You know? So it's, I mean, you, so that most of those results are like, well, we can't really, see these as legitimate because sure you know this probably would have happened even if this group was fed a regular diet so to me i think what's lacking in the research for the safety of gmos is i mean without going into too much of the process of how they're made is when you insert a gene 
into the DNA of a plant, um, a gene that it's not intended to have uh, originally, you're going to get a lot of mutation. Um, I think I was just reading an article and they were looking at the Roundup Ready soybean. They were mm -hmm. just looking at its genome before and after um, an insertion event. And I think there was hundreds of base pairs. Like DNA is comprised of four bases, letters, um, if anyone remembers from, you know, high school biology or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but essentially, you know, it's it's a code and it's made up of four bases which are represented to us as letters when we, you know, do the work on them, do research. And when they did an insertion event, they're seeing hundreds of these extra base pairs being added into the DNA. Superfluous DNA is what they call it. And the concern, I think, to me, is when I see mutations like that happening, <laughs> you know, immediately red flags go off in my head mm -hmm. as a, you know, considering the background that I have. And I think where it comes down to uh, how it's going to affect us and our diet is <coughs> DNA gets expressed as proteins. And when those proteins interface with other proteins and receptors in our gut, um, or even just throughout the rest of our cells, chemistry starts to happen. And so when we have superfluous DNA that's being randomly showing up in these insertion events for making a transgenic plant, you're going to probably get superfluous proteins. And who knows, you know, what's going on between these proteins and the receptors and bacteria and stuff in your gut. So, so go ahead. Well, okay. So like, okay. Uh, what I what I am digesting that as like layman's terms. Mm -hmm. When this you know whatever is injected to the DNA of this plant, mm. mutation other than the intended purpose is happening. Correct. Mm -hmm. When mutated whatever vegetable whatever it is starts to interact with my gut, my body, that's going to produce more cell mutation. Is that, is that like kind of what you're saying? I, I wouldn't say necessarily it would produce more cell mutation. I mean, I guess that's possible, but it would possibly just throw off the biochemistry that's happening in your cells because the proteins will interact with Sure. The proteins sure. in your cells. So, okay, okay, a better way to put that is, like, we talk a lot about our bodies being in a state of homeostasis. Mm -hmm. It's going to be working against that. Right. Okay. Possibly. Okay. But we know that that happens for sure with plants. R well, we know it happens for sure with Roundup Ready soybeans because, I mean, that's what I've been reading. Yeah. And uh, the studies that have been done, I mean, those, I mean, those mutations are there. Um. So, so my understanding of it is like, and maybe this was done on the actual roundup itself, that chemical, which we'll get into in a little bit here, mm -hmm. I think, but that the reason that they could see it as ingesting that stuff is safe is because even though they knew it would cause damage and was potentially toxic to the plants or potentially toxic to even microorganisms, 
Like there was nothing that showed that it was toxic to us and would cause those things. So that's kind of why they uh, okay. said it's potentially safe. Yeah. Um, so kind of the, the study that needs to be done or kind of what we're waiting to see is, yeah. can, is there a way of proving that it actually has a somewhat of an effect on us, mm-hmm. a toxic effect on the, us? The Roundup? Yeah, or just GMOs or Roundup and... Yeah, well, as far as the GMOs go, I don't, I, I haven't really seen any specific uh, characterization of um, the superfluous DNA that ha- that happens when you do an insertion event uh, with a with a trans gene. Um, as far as Roundup goes, you know the glyphosate and the Roundup. That the reason why they think it's okay um, if we ingest a little bit is the glyphosate it targets a specific enzyme in what's called the shikimate pathway which is a pathway that is responsible for um, forming tryptophan which is an amino acid um, and it uh, essentially just kind of shuts this enzyme down so that tryptophan cannot be produced so whatever plant has been susceptible to this dies you can't, I mean, you can't live without all the amino acids. Mm-hmm. We don't have the shikimate pathway in our DNA. So as a theory goes, it does not target anything in our genetic or biological biochemical makeup. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But there's potentially something yeah. that's inside of us that does have... Right require the shikimate which by the way that's the coolest word we've said on this podcast <laughs> i think yeah. shikimate pathway yeah well may- maybe we should say when we say pathway what a what a biosynthetic pathway is in a cell is it's essentially just a collection of enzymes these enzymes will um, take a i'll just say chemical what's called a substrate and it will bind to it and it'll change it in some way and then it'll move on to the next enzyme. It'll change it, move on to the next enzyme. It'll change it. That's that's a biosynthetic pathway. And so the shikimate pathway, I don't remember what it's named after, but that's the one that produces tryptophan. Um, the thing is, we have a lot of bacteria in our gut, and a lot of bacteria use the shikimate pathway. And so okay. through our diet okay. and through these bacteria, that's kind of our source for tryptophan. So you as a person, your DNA does not use this pathway, but the organisms inside of you who have their own separate DNA do. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So basically, as long as you ignore the fact that we've got these other organisms inside of us that are a part of us, but yet like somehow different from us then you can just say it's not even not even contextual right yeah uh-huh, sleazy yeah which would be a really unwise thing to do if you ever wanted to have an episode about uh you know gut microbiome oh we'll get there for sure <laughs> <laughs> well yeah just to hit on a little bit like we have this what's called a symbiotic relationship with them meaning like there's things about us that's good for them, and then there's things about them that is good for us, basically. Mm-hmm. So if we damage them, then that's going to lead to problems in us, and that's been very clear. And, again, that's something that's we've known for a long time, but it's also somewhat pretty new of all the things that that's 
relating to uh-huh. um, how gut issues cause brain issues, how gut issues cause skin issues, how gut issues, of course, cause gut issues, but just really every you know, organ system in the body can be negatively affected um, from, from gut issues. Yeah. Um, but just so, like you talked about, we need these gut bacteria to be able to produce tr- this amino acid tryptophan which then leads to other things like serotonin, leads to melatonin. So melatonin allows us to get into a sleep. Mm-hmm. You know, serotonin has to do with just our, um, this kind of state that, that we're in. So d- there's related to depression or anxiety, serotonin levels in our body. Um, those type of things are, are going to be more common in people that have issues with serotonin. So it definitely... Once you bring the whole microbiome, the gut bacteria that we have inside of our body or inside of our gut, um, when you bring that into it, that's when really the question of are GMOs good for us is what's being sprayed on GMOs good Uh for us. That's where really the problems Uh come in at. Right. Okay. So what you just said there, like it's not only just the mutation that's happening within the organism. Mm -hmm. It's also like this other layer of there's these chemicals that are Mm -hmm. being put on here. And like, that's kind of the whole purpose of this. Mm -hmm. What, like, what is that doing to us? Yeah. Mm -hmm. What's the chemicals doing to us? Like the roundup. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's what, that's, that's kind of what we've been talking about. That's Mm -hmm. the thing that destroys that shikimate pathway. Mm -hmm. Like we're not sure what the the actual genes getting inside of us doing what that does. He's saying that there's potential for mm-hmm. that to happen, which would then lead to muta- more mutations, which we don't really even know what would cause. But the thing we know for sure is this, the shikimate path. You mm-hmm. correct me on any, anything I'm getting wrong here, but no, we know good. for sure that that, that that shikimate pathway being interrupted mm-hmm. will cause us to not be able to produce these amino acids, which mm-hmm. then lead to Got issues it. that we have. Got it. So maybe we should just go back to... Cause <clears throat> I mean, I guess you can kind of separate, like, are GMOs okay? Um, or is glyphosate okay or Roundup okay? But they kind of, they go together yeah. a lot of the time, so it's not really a separation we can make. Sure, because, yeah, like, one wouldn't exist without the other. Uh, like, in, in when it, like, for the average person, mm. like, they're not going to have one coming in contact with themselves without the other typically yeah yeah, typically i mean that's not to say that they're 100 percent conflated i mean they they you know developed roundup for a lot of other purposes sure sure okay um, yeah yeah. and you know and and some of the gmos that are being developed are not just to be resistant to roundup but also to be resistant to maybe drought or um okay um other environmental stresses but I, I would say the the Roundup is probably the main thing because it's made it so convenient mm-hmm. for farmers mm-hmm. to, you know, um, yeah. uh, kill the weeds in their crops. So maybe we should kind of go back to kind of how this all, because I think the when there's this argument of are they okay or are they not, it's like we're not thinking about, I guess, the historical context of how it even c- came to be yeah. like this. Maybe if we understood that. and hmm. I'm going to try to go through that whole process. You listened to that Zach Bush guy more than I did, I think, so maybe you could tell it a little better. But hmm. um, where this kind of started, I guess, is... Yeah, like what? Yeah, what's the problem? <laughs> yeah. So our soil was healthy and thriving, yeah. right? And one of the things that our soil needs to be healthy and thriving is it needs minerals, right? So all the different minerals, the manganese, the 
um, copper, the magnesium, the nitrogen, all those different things. Um, so it needs those things. And then instead of using like compost or just natural fertilizers to make sure that we can continue that process and feeding the soil what it needs mm -hmm. as we went to more petroleum based fertilizer, right? which have some of those minerals, those mm -hmm. nutrients that the soil needs, but it doesn't have all of them. And when we started to fertilize it with those um, petroleum-based products, then that's kind of what the soil became. That's, mm. um, I guess it came, the majority of the, the minerals that were in the soil were those ones that are just based in petroleum. So mm. just like us, when we are deficient in nutrients um, and toxic with stuff, our defenses go down, our immune system gets weaker, mm -hmm. so we're susceptible to bugs, viruses, parasites, all these things mm -hmm. yeah. um, that can attack us and cause us problems. And the same thing happens with soil. If it's devoid of nutrients that it needs to be to have its defenses, then now you know it can be destroyed. So now bugs and stuff and whatever else comes yeah. and eats the plants. So it's kind of a problem that was created by what we were doing to the soil mm -hmm. and then now we have another problem of bugs coming after and killing the plants so then the process continues right now we have to find something to eliminate that process right um so we came up with something to do that mm -hmm. and then we had another problem which was weeds mm -hmm. so now <laughs> yes we want our crops to grow but what grows with is weeds yeah and I'm yeah. sure that plays into kind of the soil being devoid too of why so many more weeds were growing. Yeah, yeah. You add in any time you want here. So um, I, I think uh, when you're talking about the history there, kind of, you know, what you're touching on is when you think about the soil, you know, there's this thing called the nitrogen cycle. So organic material is uh, um, after a crop has been picked, you know, the, the corn stalks or whatever are left mm -hmm. in the field. Mm-hmm then there's supposed to be microbes in the field that digest those organic materials and then release the, the nitrates, the phosphates, and the sulfates that's, that the plants use to grow and, um, and thrive. Um, when you start using fertilizers, um, you are spraying nitrates, phosphates, and sulfates onto the soil, but the, the analogy I always like to use is it's kind of like living off candy versus a full course meal because these bacteria are meant to thrive in the soil and digest this organic material and produce the nutrients you need and that's kind of there permanently. You would have to reapply fertilizer over and over again to keep the nutrients there because it just doesn't last very long for the plants relative to a microbial. Sure. Yeah. And um, the microbes in the soil will also fight against funguses and yep. certain bugs. And I think uh, one of the things you were talking about, having these bugs is another problem. Uh, another type of GMO crop was developed at that time with BT corn. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, again, it's somewhat... <laughs> The whole thing that we're trying to get at with this podcast of why we call it Restoring Human is there's just a way that kind of we've lived as humans yeah. and we lived in, a, in this relationship with nature. And anytime we try to intervene and, and, and do something different than just how nature works, 
um, there's potential for problems to happen. And then when those problems happen, we have to try to figure out another way of, of fixing that problem. And then it might fix right. it short term, but then it just leads <laughs> to other problems down the road. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe where we're at with genetically modified foods and the problems that they potentially could cause and the problems that the glyphosate is causing that, that, that are with the genetically modified foods um, is just now we have to figure out that problem, I guess. Of, of getting around that mm-hmm. and instead of figuring out that problem i think because maybe we can't figure out that problem there's just been a lot to try to get around is it bad by avoiding the research that needs to be done or you know whatever else they're doing to try to keep that quiet yeah i mean it's a it's a pretty sobering thought when you think about um like for instance the bt corn um what they did there uh was they took a gene from a bacteria called bacillus thuringiensis i think is how you pronounce it this is a type of bacteria this bacteria makes a toxin called a crytoxin and this binds to receptors to in the mid gut of larva of a whole bunch of different insects well this bacteria is supposed to just exist in the soil and i think there's a lot of farmers that actually just spray the bacteria on their crop and um well, they thought it'd be easier if we just had our corn just produce this toxin on its own. Mm-hmm. Well, the problem is, in my opinion, is they're starting to see um, these these bugs that it was inig- initially targeted for um, arising um, a resistance to a resistance this, to the, the, the crytoxin that is in the corn now. And the crytoxin doesn't have a problem. We don't have a problem with. We don't have a receptor that binds it. You know, when you eat uh, corn that's been sprayed with the bacteria, you're going to get some of the toxin in your system. But uh, we, you know, we've been ingesting that bacteria for thousands of years, and it's not been a problem. Um, but now that these these bugs are there's a rising a population of them that are resistant. Um, the way that should play out is the bacteria because they like to kill these larvae and then proliferate on the carcass of the larvae. Um, they would either modify a population of them that has a modified version of the crytoxin would arise and still fight against, you know, this competitive, this competitive nature. Um, when you insert that gene into the corn, you've kind of locked the type of toxin that's being produced. Okay. So you're going to run out of time with the BT corn eventually, and you're either gonna have to make a new BT corn or um, or figure out a different method. And what is, <coughs> I kind of think about sometimes is <coughs> if we're sort of ignoring these bacteria, you know, that they, uh, th- they might die off, right? And, you know, what's the library of genes that we're looking to sure. to modify our corn again? Well, it might be gone by the time we need to make a new type of corn. Huh. Something I think about, I guess. Yeah, well, and just, I mean, who knows by that bacteria mm-hmm. dying off, the, all the implications that that could have just on you know, how nature works. That's interesting to think about. Yeah, that's crazy to think about. <laughs> uh, we Looks like we have a question here. question is, has there been any hormone studies on GMOs, things such as increases in infertility, etc. Jared, 
Uh, I I personally haven't come across any specific hormone studies on GMOs, mm-hmm. but um, this Zach Bush guy that uh, is in these seminar videos that we're watching, he has a company called uh, it's like uh, Bio Biometrics or I forget the name of it, but he Some makes he makes Restore for Life products. I don't know if you've yeah. ever seen those. Um, and he funds some research and what they have found is at least in not so much GMOs, but just the glyphosate, they're finding that it upregulates the, uh, when it interfaces with your gut, it upregulates the production of receptors that bind to gliadin, which is the part of the gluten protein that, Mm -hmm. that people get allergic to. Right. So, I mean, there's a lot of that going on. Right. Uh, I would assume that there's some type of hormonal effect with right. some of these uh, superfluous proteins that are potentially being produced with all these mutations that are happening in a GMO, but I just haven't come across any specific. Sure. So I guess the direct answer to that question is maybe not, but all these red flags. Yeah. like Maybe not, but it would not surprise me if right. there is. Well, yeah, I mean... <coughs> There's definitely some links between um, gut problems in infertility, so uh, food like sensitivities and connect, infertility. You connect the dots between this and this, and you can, like, connect the two. Yeah. Yep. So g- maybe talk about that a little bit. So how the glyphosate was used to speed up the process of how wheat was harvested. Yeah, because I've – so uh, – one of the things I know I've come across, you know, Facebook feed, whatever, is, uh, you know, different articles talking about people really aren't gluten intolerant. They're, like, intolerant to Roundup yeah. or whatever. So, yeah. yeah, and that's kind of a, that's, I guess, Click maybe. Clickbait, like, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I mean, so th- there's something to that, but I would say that it's probably an inaccurate statement. They're right. still sensitive or allergic even to the, like what he mentioned, the, gl- the gliadin, gliadin. That gliadin that's in the gluten. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, when you break down gluten, that's what it gets to. But that what the glyphosate potentially is doing, or maybe they've shown that this is what it does, is yeah. kind of enhances that effect of yeah. how we would mm. be sensitive to it. Sure. And also then throws off the um, fiber to gluten ratio. So now there's mm. less, a lot less fiber and way more mm. gluten yeah. in, in the wheat product as opposed to how it used to be where our bodies could handle, you know, mm. the, the gluten. Yeah. So th- there. you, we had talked about this a number of weeks ago, one of the weeks you were specifically talking about food and you made us a quick point about how like people have been eating making bread forever but like just recently there's been this hoopla about gluten intolerance and like it's it's not that our bodies were not made to be able to like digest this stuff it's like something changed and this is not the same food Mm. yeah yeah not not the same food and again when it's combined with the the glyphosate it just changes how our bodies, I guess, absorb it and yeah. deal with it. Or, yeah, at least according to this study that uh, um, this group that Zach Bush is part of is is seeing. Um, and I think they're going to be releasing that paper uh, to the Journal of Nutritional 
chemistry or something, nutritional medicine. I, I can't remember what the name of the journal was here in the next couple of months, I think is what he said. Yeah. So. Where are we at? How much time we got here? Oh, we're good, dude. We're good. Yeah. I guess we haven't done it for three weeks. We yeah. <laughs> keep going. Yeah. Losing stamina. <laughs> um, what maybe let's hit on and, and maybe this isn't kind of where your expertise is at in this genetically modified discussion, but what about the, when they say how they try to justify the, all the GMO stuff because we just can't make enough food to feed the planet. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Well, it's a, I mean, it, on, on face value, it seems like a very compelling argument. Um, but like I was talking to you about before about the idea of the BT corn and kind of running out mm-hmm. of our gene library to keep modifying it. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I wonder even about the sustainability right. of, of, uh, fighting our environmental problems this way. Yeah. Um, the thing is, is, and they talked about this in the seminar um, series, and I don't have like a number for how much land it is, but the government here literally pays farmers to not farm. Organically? No, just not just farm. Not oh, just not farm, farm, period. Right. So um, there are a lot of farmers who have a lot of their fields in what's called uh, CRP. It's like a conservation, um, I forget what the R stands for, program. And they just kind of leave it planted with grass and they just don't plant a crop there. Um, so there's a lot of land across our country that is just locked up in this, um, this government program. Um, and it's just being unused to produce food. And what's the purpose of it? I don't know for sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think they, uh, uh, it's, it probably has something to do with, uh, you know, protecting like the market of the corn and making sure that uh you know it doesn't go haywire and stuff but maybe having a farmer answer that question would be would be better Um, yeah i thought it i'm trying to remember what they were talking about on it too it was something about they just need to they how they describe it is they they want to save big portions of land Hmm. in case something really bad goes down mm. they have kind of these backups um is is what they're doing but the guy related it to genetically modified foods and um how that if we if we were to use all this land then somehow it would show evidence that you know they that it's not necessary to be using genetically modified foods right. to be able to feed mm-hmm. the, the world so it's like there's no real problem. It's like fear of a potential problem hmm. is driving these absurd, massive changes in how we're making food. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I mean, not to mention that uh, we're already failing at feeding the world, even with, you know, yeah. the, the I mean, the the rate at whatever our yields are supposed to be at one point with better uh, GMO crops, you know, that's not going to catch up to the rate of the multiplication of the, the human race on the planet. You know, it's projected to be like 10 billion in like five or 10 years or something like that. Yeah. As long yeah. as the Arguelas are still around. <laughs> <laughs> yep. 
Okay, so what is it seems like one of the big themes has been this is a pretty new thing. There's not a ton of clear super clear lines besides like the few specific strands that you were talking about. But there's a lot of red flags like mm-hmm. what does this mean for somebody when they walk into their grocery store? Like what should they be thinking about? Like how do they know what they're buying? Like what mm-hmm. yeah, what does this mean for people on a super practical level? I mean, I I think what it means is like I was talking about before is until we really know, I mean, there's, I would say there's too many red flags Mm -hmm. to just say, okay, this is fine for me to, to eat. Mm. I don't think it's as important. Um, and maybe it is, but just my understanding of it, I don't think it is as important right now for me than, so like if you have all these things thrown at you and and you're eating a standard American diet and you say, this is what you got to change. You got to change this and this and this and this, like if that was going to overwhelm you and you're just like, okay, just give me a couple things that I need to change. Um, the sugar and, and industrial seed oils and vegetable oils for me right now are still more important above um, GMOs than mm-hmm. above GMOs. But thankfully, if you are avoiding sugar and vegetable oils, most likely you're going to be avoiding a, a lot, lot of genetically modified mm-hmm. stuff anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, our bodies are amazing. Our bodies are resistant. Our bodies are, um, hardy there's probably other words that i could be using for this but Mm -hmm. when we take in a genetically modified food it's most likely not going to cause us a huge issue right now Mm -hmm. now there probably are some people that will be super susceptible to to ingesting specifically glyphosate but but also genetically modified foods um you know there's a lot of neurological issues that you know some people are trying to trace back to glyphosate specifically autism um, so there might be something, just somebody has a genetic, um, predisposition to being susceptible to something like that. So for those people, then yes, these are, this is for sure something you should mm-hmm. avoid until we know more about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but just for the general population, yes, pay attention to it. Um, but you know, it's not something that we need to be putting, I guess, above real food and above staying away uh-huh. from vegetable oils and sugar. How far reaching is it beyond corn and soybeans? Uh, well, cotton is a major crop that is genetically modified. Um, <clears throat> I, you probably study um, the legislation and stuff more than I do, but I think those are the three basic crops that are still legal to use a GMO. Okay. There's already been a GMO wheat created. Um, it just has not think been introduced into our uh, farming system and our food supply um, I've read you know they've they've made GMO versions of a lot of different crops there's been GMO papaya um, I think they've had GMO tomatoes um, and I, I mean it's it, I mean it's 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 growing the industry mm-hmm. for it is is growing I mean they're they're um, getting into a lot of different crops but I, I just think those three are the only ones that are sure. legal to be on market sure. right now. Okay. So when somebody does go into Walmart, Aldi, Heidi, whatever, the majority of that stuff is going to be in those packaged foods, the stuff that are using mm-hmm. soy and corn like to make up a huge 
percentage of what they're actually made of. When they go buy apples and they're looking at, you know, organic apples versus the ones on the other side of the store, like they're not making a they're not making a choice of like something that's genetically modified. Like there's a difference there. So can we draw a distinction between what GMOs are, what like conventionally grown crops are, and what organic is? Because I think that's something that's definitely fuzzy. Um, I think the only way to really know that you're not getting something that potentially is genetically modified is is having organic, mm-hmm. um, any organic produce. Just because there's, I think maybe even the ways that it's it's uh, delivered to from the farm to the store, there might be something going on with. Th- they use corn for everything, mm-hmm. um, so you might know more about that process of you know how it's made into ethanol and potentially what ethanol is used for mm-hmm. and all those different things. Um, but yeah, just to be the safest, again, mm-hmm. organic is how you're going to know it's not right on there. Yeah, and I, I think uh, it's it's good to understand w- when you're eating, I guess, a highly processed product of corn, say high fructose corn syrup or um, corn starch. Um, at that point, it it really, to me, in my mind, doesn't matter if you get it from a GMO corn or a sure. organic corn because sure. it's, it's been processed to a point to that it's just, it's pure uh, high fructose corn syrup. There's not, I mean, the, the method the, of... The, GM, pro- the GMOs are not the reason you're going to have a problem with that. <laughs> yeah. <It's> like, <laughs> I, I, like I hear a lot of people you know say sometimes, like, I, I don't want to buy that. It's got GMOs in it. I'm just like... You should yeah, have that's, not, that's not your <laughs> issue. <laughs> no. It's like you got a fundamental understand <laughs> fundamental misunderstanding going on here. Uh, or, or the same with sugar, you know, if you if you get the the white processed sugar, it's not gonna matter if you get the cheap C and H cane sugar or, or an organic version. But I mean if you get raw sugar where it has some of the molasses still there and everything, you're gonna get a different profile of uh-huh. nutrients on uh-huh. the two. Yep. I think that was helpful. Yeah, but, but <coughs> you know, like you said, the cotton, um, which we would, you know, the cotton seed oil, mm-hmm. I guess, mm-hmm. what you're going to ingest, um, and then the soy and the corn. Um, mm-hmm. are the main things that you would have to worry about. But, again, if you're staying away from, that's not just going to eat a soybean or going to eat corn. Mm-hmm. That is a problem, but there's soy is in so many things and corn is in so many right. things and it's right. used for so many other uh, other reasons, so. Right. Yep. And our water. Let's get to our water. Ooh. I didn't know this was even coming. Well, this is more related to glyphosate, though. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah, and then maybe we should just not say this episode solely genetically modified foods. We can uh, talk about the whole glyphosate and GMO stuff because uh-huh. right now we know, I think, more about glyphosate being a problem than genetically modified foods being a problem. Yeah. Uh, well, the original theory goes is glyphosate, um, when it's applied to a, um, a crop, um, uh, you know, it'll kill the weeds that you want it to kill, and then what just kind of lands in the soil, the microbes in our soil, um, they will break the glyphosate down, and it, it eventually just gets converted to carbon dioxide, and uh, it's a non-persistent spray, but it takes about, in the soil, about eight to ten days for it to finish breaking down, um, maybe longer. Um, 
if it gets into the water, um, it will still break down, but it takes, I think, up to like two months mm -hmm. to finish breaking down. So if you've got fields next to, well, let's say in Davenport here, fields next to the Mississippi River, because we get um, Iowa American Water pulls water out of the river, mm -hmm. purifies it, and then sends it to all of our, our houses. If you get glyphosate runoff, say a farmer applied it and it rains and it runs off into the river um, upstream of the waterworks, mm -hmm. the treatment works, you're inevitably going to get glyphosate into the treatment works. And it's very hard because they don't do a biological treatment um, um, in the treatment of drinking water, I don't think. So it's, it's very difficult to remove a molecule like glyphosate from the water. And one of the final steps of the water treatment is um, uh, removing the pathogens. Mm -hmm. So you're removing the bacteria that could possibly break it down. And uh. it takes a lot less than one to two months to treat the water for, for drinking. Uh -huh. um, so if there's a glyphosate runoff in our river, we're most likely inevitably going to be drinking it downstream. Now, what concentration? I don't, I don't know if it's in the parts per million or parts per billion and how big of an effect that has on us and everything. But in my mind, I would rather just have zero, mm -hmm. a flat zero mm -hmm. yeah. ingestion of glyphosate. Yeah. So. Yeah, so like we went through how bad glyphosate is potentially for your body. So people are probably thinking, well, they spray the plants with glyphosate. So if I eat that food, then I'm going to get glyphosate in me. But that's not necessarily the case because the glyphosate's going to. Well, um, it's possible still. I've just been starting to read about um, glyphosate's ability to adsorb to uh, leaf tissue on a plant when it sticks there. And mm -hmm. then I think uh, if, if that happens, it adsorbs to the leaf, um, you know, or even the stem or whatever. Uh, it, it's going to be protected from microbial attack. So it's possible, I think, to still, I think it's possible to still ingest glyphosate even from the food. Um, because once it kind of gets under the first couple layers of plant tissue, um, it's, it's after it adsorbs, it's not going to be um, broken down by the bacteria at that point. So you want it to get in the soil because that's where most of the bacteria is going to be at to yeah, be able to well break it down. Any of the glyphosate that does not hit your target plant, you want it to end up in the soil so that it breaks down. But, I mean, they spray this ubiquitously, so it's inevitably going to hit Everything. any crop or whatever. Yeah. 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 So it's not necessarily, do we know, like, does it compound? So since they're always spraying and they spray everywhere, like, is it still that 10 or whatever days that it's just always going to break down like that? So does it really matter how much they're spraying because it's always going to break down in 10 days? Uh, theoretically, yes. Um, I don't know what the long-term effects would be and how, because it acts as a, uh, um antibiotic and how much that's going to uh, disrupt the microbiome in the soil and if those bacteria that are there to to break it down now if they'll be there 50 years from now mm -hmm. you know yeah mm -hmm. so in the soil in the water on the plants Dang. definitely Dang. can get in us multiple ways 
Boy, okay. So you brought it up a few minutes ago, but like our whole idea is like it's not just this like happy, nostalgic feeling of, you know, human life is supposed to look like it always did and it's not like the good old days it's like from experience we can see that when we mess with how human life was designed to function bad things usually happen and like that's kind of just applying that reasoning and that experience to this new subject of GMOs glyphosate like it, it it's there's reason to take that stance yeah can we think of anything that's good about it Ooh. Uh, well, I, I you know i i would say probably the only really positive argument you can make for the gmos and the use of glyphosate is just how simple it's made to produce a lot of food uh, but how nutritious that food is you know we don't know i mean because just for example we were kind of mentioning how it was used to increase the wheat production um mm-hmm. usually a wheat plant there's only time in the year for you to get one harvest because the wheat has to grow it has to seed and then it has to dry out before they harvest it um, but what they do with um, now that they have glyphosate is that it grows it seeds they spray it so it dies early and then they harvest that and plant it again and get two crops per year. So on face value, that would seem like, oh, that's a great thing. We're getting way more food per year. Um, but then again, we don't, we don't know any of these. We don't know much about any of these underlying effects that are going on, you know, with the fiber to um, gluten ratio thing and how the life cycle of the plant gets affected or how that ratio gets affected from changing the natural life cycle of the plant. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, like when we think about when we've talked about this, I guess, perspective that you brought up there with medicine, like there's definitely some amazing things that just technology and and researching the body of how we've been able to (coughs) produce these medicines or drugs or surgeries or tests that are amazing and Mm -hmm. save people's lives. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of good from that. So, um, that's a good thing and we should continue that. But of course, since we are still intervening with the body, we're doing something that the body hasn't necessarily done for thousands of years, there's potential for bad things to happen. Um, and that's, it's very clear that that is the case. That's the same thing that's happening with this whole genetically modified food and, and chemical glyphosate, how that's, there's just bad things that are going to happen. We might not know exactly what they are and how they happen, but there's bad things that for sure are going to happen. And, and I don't know that there's any good things like we can find, you know, identify with medicine. I don't know if there is any good stuff that's going yeah. on. I, I'm okay. not sure I could think of a, a really good argument, at least in the context of producing our food. Um, but I mean, the, some of the other products we use uh, corn for like the um, ethanol production and, and whatnot. Um, <clears throat> I could see a potential good argument for that if we were just modifying uh, the use of these uh, non-consumable corn and then 
just using that and not spraying anything on it, you know. Um, maybe I, I wouldn't uh, <laughs> I, I wouldn't sign my name to that argument, but uh, <laughs> I, I could see it as potentially a good one. Sure. Yep. Cool. So yeah, as always, try to be as close to how people have used to live for a long, long, long time, and not that everything that we've changed and adapted to has been bad, but we just gotta be careful about it, right? Gotta yeah. look into it before we just assume it's mm. good. Yeah. Yep. Now let's talk about powerlifting, because Jared just got into powerlifting. You found powerlifter. We can do that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We got three minutes until our hour. Not that we have to stop at an hour. There is one comment on here that I want to get to. Uh, it was one of the first ones right here. Oh, first of all, uh, Nathan says, looking sharp, Doc. Uh, you can you can read here. This is from Jared. You have the perfect voice for a sleep radio podcast. Yeah. I mean that in the best way possible. <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> I can't see. You can, you can oh, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, cool. Thank All you. Right. Thank you for uh, tuning in. Uh, questions? This, we, you, you, sh if you are not as educated as one of these dudes, you're going to have some questions about some things that just happened. Uh, feel free to put those in here, Facebook, YouTube, wherever you're watching this, um, and we can try to get to those. So, And if this brought up other topics you want to hear about, let us know. Okay, thank you very much. See you Peace. guys soon.